foundation is built on solid rock. Yeshua. Yeshua. The rock of our salvation on Solace Radio. Talking about just the word minor prophet. Okay? Minor prophet is not a prophet who has a lamp on their hat. Right? Works in a mine. But also there's this idea of minor, which you think of as a value statement, which means lesser. And you ask yourself, we're going to get into Zephaniah tonight and ask yourself, how many times has your pastor at church preached on Zephaniah? And statistically, probably never, because those aren't the majors. They want to stick with Romans for three years. Right? I talked to, I bet you, I know. I talked to a kid a while back. I can't even remember. It was a while back. And he just said, man, I... I was talking to him about our Bible study and inviting him to our Bible study. Just somebody I met out. And he was already, I go to a really great church. It's like, okay, that's great. Said, Tell me about your church. He's like, we have an awesome church. Oh, that's great. He said, awesome. My, my pastor's an awesome Bible teacher and he's just so deep and I just love so much. I said, yeah, tell me about it. He's like, man, he is so good. We've been in like the Gospel of Luke for like five years. <laughs> I just said, fail. He's like, what? I'm like, fail. Fail. I'm not saying it's not good or that you're not going deep into Luke, but it's like, hey, check out Zephaniah. Not too shabby. And these are the parts of the Bible where, as we say, you know, most people's pages are still stuck together because they never get to this part. And uh, and for some reason, because just the whole idea of being a minor, I mean, would you rather be a major league player or would you rather be a minor league player? Okay, you look at the salary of a minor league player making maybe 20, 25 grand a year, touring in some broken down bus, Playing, playing with the Birmingham Barons. That's who Michael Jordan played for, by the way, if you're a sports fan. Michael Jordan, when he left basketball, decided he wanted to get into baseball because he, he was good at it when he was young. And then he realized it's, it's hard to be a professional baseball player. Uh, when I was in Memphis, I lived in Memphis for seven years. And when I, when I, when I got into the music business, I moved to Memphis. And when I moved to Memphis, there was a guy named Bo Jackson. Does anybody remember Bo Jackson? He was the big dual sport player, right? He played professional baseball and professional football at the same time. Bo knows. That was the whole Nike commercial campaign. Well, Bo played for the Memphis Chicks, right? The Memphis Chicks before he went up to play for, I think, the Royals or whoever owned the Chicks. Huh? It was the Royals, right? So we would go watch Bo Jackson play, and it would be like, strike out, strike out. I was like, Bo don't know batting. And strike out, and then all of a sudden they would throw him a thing, and when he hit the ball, it's one of those things when it was going out of the stadium, it was still going up. You know, not like going up and then down. So at that little minor league stadium, we watched it happen. We watched Bo Jackson play. And there was a major difference between when Bo Jackson hit the ball. Michael Jordan didn't even hit the ball the whole time. And yet here comes the Birmingham Barons, and they're in a brand new tour buses and everything. So I was like, you could tell that they're like, you know, we really don't want Michael Jordan here because... We show up and we're trying to get noticed and then everybody wants Michael Jordan's autograph, right? Space Jam was out. You know, remember that cartoon? Michael Jordan was huge. <laughs> Even Michael Jordan can't really raise the profile of the minor leagues. And so we think of major prophets and we think of minor prophets as if the minor prophets have nothing to say, right? <laughs> Apostle Paul says an interesting thing, 1 Corinthians 14.1. I actually shared it at dinner tonight. And you should pursue love and, and you should you should desire spiritual gifts. So apparently there's something that you could desire and perhaps could be attained. And above all, that you should prophesy. And you say, what is prophecy? Well, prophecy is the re- is revelation. God gives his revelation to us. Doesn't mean you're necessarily going to predict who's going to be the winner of the World Series or the Super Bowl coming up. Doesn't mean you're going to predict apocalyptic events. It just means that when you read the word of the Lord, the Lord would reveal the truth of his word to you. Right? Paul has his conversion experience on the road to Damascus. Scales on his eyes. Scale fall off. The Bible says he spent some time there in Damascus and Syria with the brothers. And then from there he went off into Arabia. Then he comes back. I don't know what it is. 14 years later, something like that. He comes back to Jerusalem. He says, hey, listen, I want to share with you what the Lord has revealed to me. A mystery. It wasn't a thing that had never happened. It's a mystery that had always been in the scriptures. Hey, guess what? Gentiles have always been able to get in. Did you know that? They've always been able to get in. And then you stop and you think, you go, oh, that's right, Ruth. Ruth was from Moab and she got in, right? And then you read Matthew chapter 1 and you have women like Rahab and Tamar and and uh, 
uh, Ruth and Bathsheba, right? Who's married to a what? Uriah the what? The Hittite. You have, you have Gentiles who get into the kingdom. It's, oh, that's right. It's always been that way. But if you grow up in the Jewish culture, you think to yourself, well, it's us and nobody else. God just loves us. We're chosen. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't love others. Then you read later, you read Isaiah 56, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. God has a plan for the Gentiles where he's given them a memorial. He's given them a name. And their offerings and their sacrifices are welcome in his temple. It's not just that there's a court which is assigned for them. But God is always, it's not just like Paul showed up and now Gentiles get to get into the kingdom. Gentile, Paul says, hey, it, it was revealed to me by the Spirit of God, a great mystery from the Scriptures. And Paul's like, hey, listen, if you could desire any of these spiritual gifts, go for prophecy. That we would read the Bible, and by the power of the Spirit, he would reveal the truth to us, not in a way that he's never revealed it to anybody else, but he's just now revealing it to you. And then because it's prophecy, he's not just revealing it to you so you could know it, and that you can have your own personal spiritual mountaintop experience right there in Starbucks with your Bible open, but so that you would share it with other people so that they could know it too. Paul says, man, if you could go for any of them, go for that one. And hopefully that's what we're all going for here. That God would reveal the truth of his word to us in a dynamic and a powerful way. And that we could share it with a new generation. In essence, we could sing a new song. It's an old song with a new melody for a new generation. Same truth, but now he's revealing it to us in our time and in our day. Amen? And so... God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't mean that he doesn't elevate some people to platforms that are very public. And it doesn't mean that that that, that he doesn't allow other people to elevate to, to big platforms. But he's no respecter of persons with respect to salvation. He loves you just the same as he loved Isaiah or Paul or anybody else. But it doesn't mean that he's necessarily going to give you a great platform. But if you don't get a great platform, it doesn't mean that what he gives you to say is not important. So the idea that there are minor prophets and major prophets, which is the way people look at it. So, you know, what? let's stick to the majors. Is is really offensive to the Lord. They're in the book. And by the way, there are thousands of them that you'd, you'll never hear of. He's one of the ones that made it into the book. There are thousands of prophets that were killed, right? Because we hear it from Isaiah and Jeremiah. And we hear it from the other. Hey, listen, we hear it from Jesus. Hey, this is Jerusalem where you killed the prophets. And we never have a word that they wrote. But now when you put that together with what Paul is saying, hey, you should desire to be a prophet. You should desire to be a person who understands the words and then can reckon the times that you live in and deliver the gospel within the context of the world that you live in because the word has been revealed to you. And don't seek for a place of more importance than somebody else. Remember when the disciples are arguing about who's going to sit on your right or who's going to sit on your left and they're arguing back and forth with each other, which one's the better of us? And he's like, hey, look, that's stuff that the Gentiles seek. And when he says Gentiles, that's just like saying, that's what non-believers do. That's the way the world works. But in my kingdom, I love you. At the end of John, he says to Peter, hey, listen, you know what? They're going to bind you. They're going to take you to a place that you don't want to go. Speaking of his death. And what does Peter say? Well, what about him? Pointing to John. John's like, shut up. <laughs> hey, what I'm going to do with him is what I'm going to do with him. The Lord has called each and every one of us to a personal relationship with him. The God of all creation has called you. Hello? He has called you. And he has a plan for your life. And whether the world or even other people in the church consider it to be minor Rejoice in the fact that the God of all creation has called for you to prophesy. To reveal his word to you and to send you to people in order to share it so that they can have a saving relationship with Jesus or if they're believers so that they can be encouraged in the word and move forth in what it is that he's called them to do as well. So I don't like the word minor prophets. If I was doing a, if I was doing a translation, a modern day translation of the Bible. Do you know what I would call them? I call them indie prophets, right? Because, you know, there's this vibe, right? I don't like major labels. I don't like, I don't want to listen to Green Day. They're a major label band. They used to be a cool punk band and then they signed a major label deal. Now they're just a bunch of sellout compromisers. I like Bon Iver, although I don't like Bon Iver. But it's like, I don't know. 
I can't even think of independent art. My daughter loves them all. My son loves them all. Yeah, we all like, we like indie artists. Why? Because it's, it's the people. It's the voice of the people. So for a moment, can we not think of them as minor prophets, as in to humiliate them? They're indie prophets. So therefore, they should maybe be sought after even more so than the major label prophets. Amen? That's the way I look at it. I'm so down. I'm 44 years old and I'm not hip at all. I just want you to know that I know that. So we're here tonight with Zephaniah. Zephaniah lived at a very interesting time and he has a very interesting lineage. So what I'm going to do is we're going to just start reading for a second and then we'll stop. Okay? Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah the son of Cushi the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. So what do we want to know first off about Zephaniah? He has a pretty, he was, he was a Kennedy. You know what I'm saying? He was from a royal family. And what's interesting is, is that he's the son of Cushi, right? Cushai or Cushi which means Ethiopian, a person from Cush. So it might have been that it's like, oh, yeah, that's that guy. His dad's the Ethiopian. And it's trying to go, no, let's go beyond that. Let's go to let's go to my real lineage, which takes me back to Hezekiah. Or it could have just been the fact that what's happening is, is that he's prophesying in the days of Josiah. And because we've read the Bible up till this point, we know that Hezekiah was a great reformer. And we know that Josiah was a great reformer. Okay, Hezekiah is one who said, "You know what? I'm not going to stand for any more idolatry anymore. We're going to we're going to cut all this stuff down. Okay, we're going to cut down all the high, tear down the high places, destroy all the idols we can find." And then he came to a point in his life where he was about to die, and he says, "Lord, I don't want to die. You know? Did you know that God always chooses best? It doesn't mean we shouldn't pray and we shouldn't petition Him for things." But I like what Jesus prays. Hey, Lord, this is how I'm feeling right now. But nevertheless, your will be done. Doesn't mean that Jesus was trying to squirm out of it. But 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 he's showing us, I believe, in many respects, he's showing us that, he, listen, I am, I am, after all, in a human, fully God and hu- fully human. And I feel pain. And and I but you know what? I continue to trust the Lord even into death because I know of what's promised for me after death. But he prays, nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. Have you ever done that? Have you ever faced a difficult decision and said, Lord, this is what I want. Not my will be done, we pray, but thy will be done. Lord, this is what I want. Nevertheless, you choose best for me. Because sometimes I think that I want something, and then when I get it, I realize that was a bad thing for me. Right? Maybe there's somebody you wanted to date, and then you found out later they were an axe murderer. You're like, man, am I so glad I didn't go all that guy. I really thought he was cute, but the Lord said no. I don't know what your situation is, but that happens in life. Where you pray and you say, Lord, you know, I, I want what you want. Hezekiah says, Lord, I don't want to die. Give me more time on this earth. And the Lord, for whatever reason, does. Remember the sign that he gave him? Make a shadow move backwards. Shadow's going to move backwards. It's pretty amazing because that's like an episode of Superman. Remember when he flies around the world backwards and he changes the sun, goes back and all that? You wonder where those writers got that? Hezekiah. Son goes backwards. It gives him 15 more years of his life. You think, hey, that's great. Kinda. I bet every day that he lived, he thought to himself, okay, I have 14 years and 364 days left. I bet it consumed his mind every day that he was going to die and how he was going to die. I would rather just kind of not know and let the Lord choose. In that 15 years, a son was born to him. Anybody remember his son's name? Manasseh. Was Manasseh a good guy, bad guy? The Bible says he was the worst king that Israel ever had. You talk about idolatry. You talk about the days of Jezebel and Ahab and all this stuff. The worst king that he ever had was born within that time that the Lord said, hey, you shouldn't even be alive right now. And now you've had a baby and it's the worst one. Right? So after the great reformer comes a son who is evil. Then you have the evil king Amon who comes after him. And, you know, and so, so forth and so goes. And then Josiah shows up. Josiah's a little baby and he was saved. His, his life was spared. I think he was, how old was he? Eight years old when he became the king. And when he's around 21 years old, 
they're doing reforms in the church, right? They're cleaning out the temple, and they found the book of the law. Remember, you find it at the end of Second Kings and the end of Second Chronicles. They find the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They weren't even looking for it. That's how bad things had gotten in Jerusalem. They had lost the book of the law, and not only did nobody care that they had lost the book of the law, but they weren't even looking. They didn't even know to look for it. And in many churches, I go into many churches today, and I would say to myself, I think they've lost the book of the law, and it's been so long since it's been taught here that they don't even know to look for it. So they're just skipping topic after topic after topic. I'm not against topical sermons. I'm just saying that after a while, you can't use the Bible as a resource. You have to treat it as the source. And whenever there was trouble in Israel, it wasn't because we weren't teaching about topics. It's because they departed from the word of the Lord and the people didn't know it. And so they were just doing what felt right to them. So Hezekiah does this situation where he does great reform. He had some visitors from Babylon that came one day, showed him everything in his in his kingdom. And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, hey, listen, those guys that you're showing in, in a few years, 100 years or so, they're going to come back. They're going to take everything that's here. So the Lord says, you know, it's not going to happen in your day, so don't worry about it. And that was cool with Hezekiah. And we kind of look at our political leaders today, and I don't know if they're not, but we're being sold down the river. Generations are being sold down the river. And you know what they're saying? Same thing Hezekiah said. Well, if it's not going to happen in my day, I'm cool with that. As long as I get reelected, I'm just going to keep promising programs and spending money that we don't have. And that happens on both sides of the political fence, by the way. Zephaniah and Josiah are both descendants from Hezekiah. And towards the back half of Josiah's ministry, right, after the great reforms, after he came in and they tore down high places, just like it happened in the days of, of, of Josiah, I mean, just like it happened in the days of Hezekiah, it had already happened in Josiah, and towards the second half of Josiah's ministry, Zephaniah, who had been around the whole time, Zephaniah, who had seen the horrible idolatry of Manasseh, had seen the horrible idolatry of Ammon, Zephaniah is now saying, hey, um, the day of the Lord is coming. And in these three chapters of Zephaniah, the term the day of the Lord is used more than in any other prophet. Any other place in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is used in the three chapters of Zephaniah more than any others. Because guess what? Who cares if there's reform in the days of Hezekiah? The Lord says destruction, the day is still coming. Who cares if there's, there's reforms in the days of Josiah? The Lord says it's still coming. And I'm telling you right now, there could be revival in our day, and I hope that there is. But we can really only guarantee revival in our time for our generation. Because the revelation says what? The day of the Lord is still coming. And let's just say that Barack Obama woke up tomorrow morning, and Barack Obama says, hey, you know what? Mormonism is a cult. I hate Mitt Romney. And Mormonism is a cult. And so what I think we should do is I think that we should just destroy every Mormon place of worship. So they take that place out over there by uh, over there by out in Moreno Valley. There's a Mormon place of worship over in the wood streets over here. There's a Mormon place of worship. They, we're going to take them all out. The Mormon tabernacle, forget it. All, this, all the Mormon places in the whole nation, we're going to tear it all down. And if the government went and destroyed every Mormon place of worship, do you think that would really change things spiritually in Utah? No, because you can take down all the high places, but the most important high place is what? The high place in your heart. We learned that lesson from Daniel in a positive way. They took his nation. They took him out of there. They took his clothes. They took his title. They took away his stinking name. Gave him another name. Called him Bethesazar. Belteshazzar. Changed his language. Changed his literature. Wanted to change his diet. The eunuchs came to get him, so you can only expect that they changed his manhood. I mean, you don't want good-looking, smart foreign guys working in your court, do you? You don't want stallions. You want geldings. Took away everything. But what could they not take away from Daniel? His choice to follow the Lord. So with the last thing that he had, he chose. Guess what? You can do the same thing with pagans. You can knock down all the gay bars, but do you think that's going to get rid of homosexuality? No. Knock down all the foreign places. All the, take down the Buddhist temples. Take down the Mormon places of worship. Take down everything that you think is a cult. But that doesn't change the heart. And what Zephaniah is saying is this. Hey, listen, all this stuff that Josiah is doing and all this stuff that he's taken down, it's not changing your heart. So therefore, the day of the Lord is still coming. 
after all of your reforms. So what does that say to us? You're not going to fundamentally transform America spiritually unless you change the heart. And just getting people to raise a hand or to walk an aisle or to sign a card or to pray a prayer, that is not enough. Because Jesus didn't call us to make converts exclusively. He called us to make disciples. And what is missing in the church today is discipleship, is teaching the word of the Lord. And not only that, but teaching people how to read the word of the Lord and be in the word of the Lord independent of a church service so that their spiritual relationship with the Lord is not an hour or two once or twice a week, but is more like Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, where he says, hey, this word that I'm giving you today is to beware on your heart. And I want you to think of these things when you wake up and when you work in your fields and when you sit down to eat, teach these things diligently to your children. When you go to bed at night, I want my word to be on your heart all the time. And that's what's missing in church. And that's why so many young people are leaving church in mass. Because they look at church and they say, well, church has nothing for me. And then they take the next, what they think, the next logical step, which is this. Well, then, therefore, this whole Jesus and God thing must be wrong. And so you have kids that grew up in church and they abandon the whole thing. They abandon the whole faith by the time they get 18, 19 years old. And they completely walk away from the Lord. And you say, what is missing in your life? I'll tell you what's missing. That personal relationship with the Lord. And the ongoing daily relationship in his word, the harbinger that keeps pulling you back to true north. It's a daily course correction so that weeks, months, years don't go by and you find yourself way off course. And then you start blame shifting and saying, well, the real problem is the church. The church has let me down. No, man, the responsibility is yours. And that's exactly what Zephaniah is saying. If you understand the season in which he's ministering and the audience to which he's speaking, then we'll be able to understand it and at least see the parallel in, in our own culture that we live in today. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, the son of Amon, the king of Judah, the great day of the Lord. I will utterly consume everything. That sounds pretty total, doesn't it? From the face of the land, says the Lord. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. And I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off every trace of Baal or Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests and the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. And those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord. But who also swear by Milcom. Stop for a second because we've covered a lot of real estate. God says, hey, listen, destruction is coming. One of the great things that I love about being in Jewish ministry. Because on Saturday mornings I teach and, and lead worship primarily uh, for a Messianic congregation in Irvine. And one of the great things about ministry is, is whenever I see Jewish leaders speaking with Christian leaders. And I heard Mitch Glazer, the president of Chosen People one time, speaking to some pastors who were of what they call replacement theology. So they, they don't believe that there is an Israel anymore. They just believe that the church has replaced Israel and God has no more heart for Israel. He just has a heart for the church. There's no more plan for Israel or anything like that. And, of course, I don't believe that way, right? Because I read the Bible, all of it. And he just says, well, if it happened to us, it can happen to you. And you have no problem. I mean, if we were the chosen people and now you're the chosen people, well, at least learn from our mistakes. And you ask yourself, is the church any less worldly than Jerusalem in the days of the destruction when Babylon came in? So, if you've now replaced us, at least learn from our example. If it happened to us, it'll happen to you. And it happened to Jerusalem. And it happened to Judah. That the destruction which the Lord said would come, came upon them. But he's not just talking about 
Judah and Jerusalem, is he? He's speaking beyond that. And when we continue to read throughout Zephaniah over the next couple of days, you realize that he's prophesying about the whole world. And that hasn't happened yet, but it will. The Bible says judgment begins where? House of the Lord. Okay. And a God who would not punish his people is like a preacher that wouldn't punish his own kids. I don't know that you can fully trust them. I'm in ministry. And kids that are grow up under ministry parents suffer particularly from two syndromes. One of them is the rules don't apply to me. Okay, so sometimes you'll be around pastor's kids, especially when they're like between 10 and 18. And it's just like, oh my gosh, what a brat. It's because the rules don't apply to them. They can go where they want to go. They get older and if there's a parking lot and all the employees are supposed to park in the back and their employees, they'll park in the front where it says only 20 minutes only waiting for the bookstore or something like that. They'll park in the front or the what. You know what I'm saying? You go to churches all over America. They, they, the rules don't apply to It's my dad. is the preacher. So I don't have to follow the rules of all the other employees. Right? That's one syndrome that they suffer. And it damages them in the future. Because guess what? Rules do apply to you. Rules of physics apply to you. And the laws of California apply to you. And you find yourself sideways. Because you grew up with this attitude that the rules don't apply to me. But the other one is this. The rules apply more to me than they apply to anybody else. Right? When you're a preacher's kid. So it's like your kids will say to you from time to time, you know what, if you weren't working for a church, you'd let me do this, right? The, the rules apply more to me than they would to anybody else. And so as a parent who's in ministry, I try to have a healthy balance. And I never let my kids out of the house. No, I'm joking. My kids want to be on the worship team. I say, great, go audition. Well, can I come up to your office and play for you and the other guys? No, that would give you a special concession, and you don't get that. Why? Because the rules apply to you. Hey, Dad, can I go to a dance? Well, I really don't like dances, and I don't think you should go. Well, I really want to go. You know, I'm going to let you go. I think it's a bad idea, but I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you know. Because why? Because if it was anybody else and I found out their kids went to dance, I wouldn't become indignant until I went and saw what the dances looked like. Do you know that they're not doing the waltz anymore? <laughs> or the twist. <laughs> Hey, God's not God if he can't be just towards his own people. And, you know, there's a Jewish idea that, hey, God loves us, but he hates the Gentiles. I don't know if you know that or not, but you hang around Orthodox and this is, believe me, it comes out thick. But you can't really read the Bible and say that because he judges all of the nations and he judges Judah and he judges Jerusalem and he judges Israel. And the Bible says you got it worse than the other nations. And yet he still shows mercy to those children. But they still get punished. So destruction is coming on Jer Judah and Jerusalem. Judah and Jerusalem thought they had it made. Why? Because Assyria had come down and they had attacked and they had dispossessed all of the, the northern tribe of Israel. Do you remember there was a huge conflict after the days of Solomon? And there was a king named Rehoboam. And he said, hey, my dad... You know, they, they came to him and said, hey, your dad was kind of hard on us. Could you lighten up on us? He goes, you know what? Not only that, I'm going to make what my dad did look like it was child's play. I'm going to make it a lot harder on you. And they said, oh, yeah, well, forget you. We're going after a guy named Jeroboam. And so the kingdom split. Ten tribes went off with Jeroboam and what they called the northern kingdom. And what was left was Judah and Benjamin, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, living in the territory of Judah. So you had ten tribes over here. You had two tribes over here. All of the people who wanted to follow the Lord from the ten tribes who separated immediately left those tribes and went and resided in Judah and Jerusalem. So Judah and Jerusalem was represented all of Benjamin, all of Judah, and was peppered with people from all of the other tribes who wanted to believe rightly, a remnant of sorts. And Assyria had come down and had taken them out, but they had stopped short of taking out Jerusalem. So there was spiritual pride in Jerusalem. And they said, well, the temple's here. I mean, nobody, God's not going to let anybody touch home base. And the temple's here. And the temple's not going to be destroyed. So, yeah, Babylon may come all the way up to the edge of the gates, but they're not going to get any further than this. And Zephaniah says, hey, listen, utter destruction is going to happen. Not only are they going to besiege you for a season, but eventually this whole place is going to be torn down. Everybody's going to die. Who doesn't take the special plea bargain that comes through Jeremiah? But that's another sermon for another day. He says, I'm going to stretch out my hand against Judah. You don't think that I will judge you because the temple is here. 
But the problem is you people are worshiping the temple of God instead of the God of the temple. And not only that, but you're mingling with proper worship of me, worship of pagan gods. And I don't know what church you guys go to, because this isn't a church. This is a Bible study. So I hope when you leave here, you go to your church, transform. And they go, what the heck happened to you? And you're like, hey, I'm reading the Bible every day. Let's do that here at our church. That's how we want this to go viral. So we're not starting a church here. I don't know what your church is like, but I've been in a lot of them. I've been in over a thousand of them because I play concerts in churches for a living. Let me tell you something. There's a whole lot of secular world that's, that's, that's intertwined with what happens at church and what happens in churches. There's a lot of secular thinking. There's a lot of non-biblical thinking, which is dealt deep into the philosophy of how many churches operate. Many. And remember, Jesus says, hey, there's a day which is coming when how many? Many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we know your name? We did all these things. And he's like, hey, I never knew you. And let me tell you something, man. When Zephaniah shows up, they're like, okay, look, we know you're part of the royal family. And you're an heir to Hezekiah. And you're a cousin to Josiah. But you better shut up with this going to destroy Jerusalem stuff. Because it's, it's making the natives restless. And they want to kill Zephaniah. Right? How could you not? And yet Zephaniah is just saying what we would all, anybody would say. We look at America and we go, how can America stand much longer? I can't believe it's still up. It's like one of those Rocky films where they keep hitting the guy and he just won't fall down. So we get a false sense that, well, we're America. I mean, all the other, of course, Greece is going down and Italy's going under. And sure, Germany and France are sure to follow. And then Ireland and, of course, you know, the Scandinavian countries, those guys are Iceland. I mean, that's been, no, but America could never fail. I mean, Billy Graham lives here. <laughs> we send out more missionaries and we send out more missionary money and guess what God doesn't need any of that he doesn't require that he requires faithfulness and I'm going to tell you right now America has lost spiritual true north and many churches in America are mingling the things of the world with the things of the Lord and they're passing it off as if this is the real thing <laughs> I read a thing from Rob Bell not just not long ago. It was written a couple of years ago, but I just read it recently. Where he talks about somebody, they had had an art show at their church, and they had a picture of Gandhi and some sayings of Gandhi and some sayings of some other leaders who, who obviously weren't believers. So they obviously do this in a, in a provocative way, trying to make a point that there's truth in everything. <laughs> and then somebody made some comments about it, saying, why, why, do, you have, why do you have this guy... I mean, why are you teaching the philosophies of this guy? And they say, well, it's because what he's saying right there aligns with what the word says. So why would we not listen to him? And it's just like saying, well, Bob, I know you just threw up over there, but there's still a few good pieces of corn in that. <laughs> so we just want to highlight the corn. Because corn's good for you. Helps American farms. And we want to downplay the barf aspect of the of this concoction. Well, if what he says is consistent with the word, why do you even have to bring him into it? Just teach the word. And then there's no confusion. Or no, con no Confucius, as the case may be. This is nothing new. So it didn't surprise me when a year later he comes out with a book and says, I don't really know that I believe in hell. I'm like, well, you know, what? I don't think Gandhi believed in hell either, so I can see where we're moving. And yet I just read Worship Leader Magazine and an advertisement in the back of Worship Leader Magazine. The guy who publishes that I really respect and is a friend of mine, but now i got to call him and go, dude, what are you doing advertising Rob Bell's new book in your magazine? What are you thinking? Because we don't want to mix worship of the Lord and oaths sworn to the Lord, verse 5, with oaths that we swear to Milcom. Which is an Ammonite God. He says, I was, in verse 4, I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The names of the idolatrous priests with the pagan priests. And those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops and those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. What is he saying? 
Tear down all the high places. Tear down all the pagan shrines. Destroy all of the idols here. And in in, I mean, the administration of Josiah was a noble one. But guys, you're not tearing down the high places and the strongholds right here in the temple. Listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't campaign in order to have the Ten Commandments put back up on courthouses in the South. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. Shouldn't campaign against tearing those things down. We shouldn't have them placed back up there in the court of law. No better place for the Ten Commandments, I would think, than a court of law. But I'm just saying, hey, in the meantime, also, how about we just look at, at the idolatry that's going on within the congregation? Because if that's where judgment's going to begin first, maybe that's where reform should begin first. There's a concept, have you ever heard of this concept called preaching to the choir? And it's, and it's what, it's sort of what reformers use in, in order to make a statement, which is this, hey, we're preaching to the same people and they won't listen, so let's go somewhere else and preach to somebody else. Right? Let's not preach to the church, let's go preach to the people who don't know the word. And I'm telling you right now, the people in the church don't know the word. And if you don't believe me, ask the person you're sitting next to in the pew on Sunday morning what, what their what their greater thoughts are about Zephaniah. How do you break Zephaniah down? Zephaniah what? Stepped in who? <laughs> we're not preaching to them. We're, we're sermonizing to them. But I've yet to find a church that had a comprehensive plan to teach the Bible and to do it in an aggressive way so that people could get it and use it within their lifetime. Verse 7, be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. Hey, look, you know what? Don't go out there with your babbling and all your pagan ideas. How about you just go before the Lord and you be silent before him? For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited guests. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. Remember when Babylon sieged Jerusalem? And right before Jeremiah said, hey, listen, if you listen to the word of the Lord, you can get out, you get out with your life. And so those who would did, guys like Daniel, Ezekiel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all these guys got out. And then a guy named Jehoiakim was the king at the time. And then Babylon came in and he flees and they catch him. And when they catch him, do you know how they kill him? First, they kill all of his kids in front of him and then they kill him. You see, what the Lord says through his word happens, whether you believe it or not. I'm not asking you to believe it. It is going to happen. It's not like your belief is going to make it happen. The word of the Lord is going to happen whether you believe in it or not. So believe in it because it's going to happen. And there's only one way out. He says, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes of the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. And on the same day, I will punish all those who leap over the threshold. This whole idea of just like skipping on into church. Who fill their master's houses with voice violence and deceit. I have a family. And I, I'm never there in the morning when they get ready to go to church. You know why? Because I get up like at 445 and I'm at church by 6. And they go to the late service. So they don't get there till 11. So I'm not there. But I grew up in a family that went to church in the morning. And before I worked for a church, I used to have to get a family together. And you know what? The, why is it we got no problem getting these kids to school by 8 o'clock? We can't get to church by 11. Why is it we don't yell and scream and, you know, kick the dog? But when it's time to go to church, it's like, you know, your attitude going into church should be protected. We should really think about our attitude. I work for a church, and so it could be rote. It's all, okay, we're going to sing How Great Is Our God again. Whatever. I could sing that in my sleep backwards, upside down, left-handed. I am left-handed, so it makes it easier. But the point is, is that God's saying, hey, don't just skip across the threshold. Hey, be silent before me. Because I'm preparing a sacrifice. I'm preparing a day. And don't take worship of me just so flippantly. And it's a good thing for us to stop and to guard our hearts as we enter into the presence of the Lord. To not be so cavalier. And I'm often convicted about my own attitude in sound check like it's 6.30 in the morning and I'm thinking I really want to change the names, the words to these songs because it would be funny if we sang this. And I'm having to check my heart and go, you know what? No, let's just, let's, 
This is, even the sound check is a holy time. And to not be flippant about what's happening because serious things are happening and people are bringing in serious burdens that they need to deal with in front of the Lord. There's spiritual battle which is going on here. And he's like, don't just skip into church. Don't spend more time in the mirror thinking about what you're going to wear than you spend reflecting about the importance of where it is you're going and what's happening. Not my words, the Lord's. And he says, and there shall be on that day, the Lord says, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate, a wailing from the second quarter and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, all you inhabitants of Maktesh, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. Maktesh is a word which can be defined two ways. One of them is this sort of like little rivulets or little fissures in a land, like within a hill. But it's also... It's also a term which defines to a marketplace. And if you've ever been to Israel, or if you've ever been to Tijuana, right, you know what it's like to be in a place where it's kind of like close quarters and there's market going on. And there's it's not like it's like, okay, you have to pay what's on the price tag. It's not like you go to Macy's. You don't go to Macy's and go, you know, seriously, $200 for that T-shirt. Come on, I'll give you 10. And so the negotiation starts. No, you go to Macy's, you pay what's on the ticket. But when you go to the marketplace, it's loud. It's like, oh, no, you're killing me. My parents, my kids won't eat. Okay, now I'll sell it to you, but my kids won't eat. And and this is the way it is in Israel. Kind of like Tijuana. It's like, you know, it's almost like they don't even respect you unless you try to haggle them down a little bit. And can you imagine as you're going in to do worship with the Lord? In Deuteronomy 14, he talks about, the Lord talks about, hey, listen, if you live too far away from Jerusalem, to carry your tithe? Because you imagine if you have a field and you're sowing wheat or some of that corn we just talked about and you're going to bring a tenth of all that you sowed to the Lord and you say, well, that's too, I can't carry all. That's a, that's a whole, I got a whole field here and that's a tenth of this whole field. I can't. Okay, sell it in the place that you live. Wherever you live, sell it out in the country and then take the money with you and go to Jerusalem. And when you get to Jerusalem, now take the money and then buy the sacrifice that you need to make before the Lord. And the problem is, is there's price gouging in Jerusalem. So if you sell your your bushel of wheat for $50, by the time you get to Jerusalem, Jerusalem says, oh, we're only going to pay you $38 for that. But you owe the Lord $50. So now you, you see what I'm saying? So now not only can you, you, you're trying to buy it back and it's like, well, not only can I not sell this for the same price here, but when I go to buy what I need to buy, it's too much. I only have $50. But what I need to buy is cost. And so there was the problem in the days of Jesus when he shows up and there's the marketing and they're buying and they're selling and the price gouging and they're profiteering and they're doing all these things. Hey, when that happened in the days of Jesus, that wasn't the first time that had ever happened. So all those guys living in Jerusalem and working around the temple, when they see all this happen and tables turning and over, you know what they're thinking? Zephaniah. The Lord says there's going to be a wailing in here someday. And that prophecy is happening right in front of us. Most preachers, if they preach through the thing about Jesus, they talk about the things using the whip and they're talking about the turning over the tables and they're talking about the pride of the Pharisees and all this, but they're never saying, you know, and Zephaniah said this would happen. But this is where you get this. A sound of cry at the fish gate, a wailing in the second quarter, and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktish, or the marketplace, for all of the merchant people are cut down and those who handle the money are cut off. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men who are settled in complacency. Are you complacent in your walk with the Lord? Are you kind of like, yeah, I could take it, I could not. I don't know. I, just, I don't really feel any drive to be a Christian in the world. <laughs> who say in their heart, the Lord will not do good and he will not do evil. Just sort of the idea of, you know, the Lord, I believe in God, but I don't really believe that he's really working in the affairs of men. Well, that's a philosophy that pervades the church. Even today, therefore, their goods shall become booty and their houses a desolation and they shall build houses, but not inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter and there the mighty men shall cry out. And that day is a day of wrath a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation. 
desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpets and alarm against all the fortified cities and against the high towers. What is he saying? He's saying this, really? You're trusting in the Pentagon? On that day, the Pentagon will be destroyed. You're trusting in our nuclear arsenal? In that day, our nuclear arsenal will be destroyed. You're trusting in our finances? In one day, you know what? Our financial infrastructure will collapse. That's the day of the Lord. It was what the guys who were planning 9-11 were trying to accomplish. They were trying to run a plane into the Pentagon, one into either the White House or Congress, and they succeeded in the World Trade Centers, trying to devastate the symbols of American power in one hour. But guess what? They didn't succeed, did they? But the Lord will succeed when he does it, because nobody's going to stop him. There's not going to be no let's roll, and they're somehow going to divert the Lord from what it is he's trying to do. When the Lord judges and when the day of the Lord comes, and we see this, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. Well, hey, look, most of us grew up with parents, or maybe we were little kids during the hippie movement and during the Jesus movement. And what was the rallying cry of the Jesus movement? People get ready, what? Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. The six-day war had happened, and Chuck Smith and all those around him said, hey, you know what? If this is happening and it's happening in our days, well, then the last trumpet is going to sound soon. We better get the evangelistic call out because Jesus is coming soon. It's all happening. Biblical prophecy is being fulfilled in front of us. But guess what happened? 30, 40 years has now gone by. And Jesus didn't come. And so people are complacent. And they're not so quick to rally the around the cry. Hey, Jesus is coming. The day of the Lord is near. But the sad thing is the day of the Lord is even nearer. And the evidence is even clearer. And yet you can't get anybody to be fanatical about Jesus. Everybody's complacent. You know, the Lord's not going to do good. The Lord's not going to do evil. But the day of the Lord is coming. Oh, yeah. Well, why hasn't it come yet then, Steve? Second Peter 9, 8 through 13. The Lord is not slow as men count slowness. But what? He's taking his time. You know what he wants? He wants for you to repent. As many as who will believe, he's giving time to believe. But there comes a point where the justice of the Lord eclipses the mercy of the Lord. And judgment will come. How can you say that? It happened in the days of the Babylonian captivity. It happened in uh, 70 AD. The temple was destroyed again right after the crucifixion of Jesus some 25 years later. And you know what? The day of the Lord will happen again. Why? Because it was prophesied. The things which were prophesied beforehand happened. Why would we not think that they will not happen? So what is our response? We need to turn back to the Lord. And if you're turning back to the Lord and you're seeking him and you're seeking his word, then you need to be sharing it with others because people, the day of the Lord is bitter. Verse 17, I will bring distress on men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against their Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. Have you ever seen that uh, Twilight Zone episode? Twilight Zone? Remember that show? And there's a guy who they develop a plan. They're going to steal a bunch of gold and they built a time machine. That's the Twilight Zone. And he says, you know what? I'm going to we're going to project ourselves 100 years into the future. Nobody will even know who we are. And here we'll have all this gold. So he does it. Him and this guy, they get in a time machine. And something happens and the guy dies next to him. And he wakes up. He's alone in a time machine. But he's in a desert. And he's got all this gold with him. Anybody ever see this episode? And he's walking with his gold. And so it's like he can't carry it because he's in a desert. So it's like at the end of the day, he, he, he finds himself on a highway. And a guy comes by on an electric motorcycle. And he's got the one bar of gold. And he goes, please, I want some water. Please, can you give me some water? I will give you this bar of gold if you will give me this water. And the guy looked at the bar of gold. He goes, man, we found out ways to make this years ago. It's just metal. We found out a way to manufacture this years ago. Throws it on the ground, dries off. End of the show. You see, the idea is, well, the guy's going to die there in the desert. Why? Because he trusted in a thing that was valuable in his day and in his age. In the same way, it's like, okay, well, you know, we can buy our way out of this. I mean, we're nobles in Jerusalem, and if a king comes up against us, we'll just come out with the silver and the gold that we have, and we'll pay him off. And he's like, hey, you know what? Your army isn't going to help you. Your worship of your false gods is not going to help you. And whatever money that you have saved up and whatever currency that you think is going to be the one that's going to withstand the economy, that isn't going to help you in the day of the Lord. He says, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. 
but the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Listen, guys, just as in the days of Jeremiah, a way out has been made for us. If we will turn from our sin and we will turn to Jesus, there's only one way out. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus. I know that that is an idea that cuts against the grain of this postmodern culture, which wants to reject absolutes and say, oh, no, we can all coexist and there is no one way. Hey, listen, there's only one way. There's only one way. And it's Jesus. Salvation is exclusively through Jesus. There is no other way. If there was, then Jesus would have said, you know, I'm a way. I'm a, I'm a truth. I'm a life. But there is no other way. There's only one way. And yet it's offered liberally to anybody who would turn from their sin and would believe it. Would you do that? In light of what is coming, what is yet to be fulfilled, and yet we look around us and we see all of the things mounting up for destruction. We see where our country is going morally. We see where the world is heading financially. We see wars and rumors of war. And we can see it all live on YouTube. And the question is, what are you going to do with the decision that's given to you? Are you going to act like the people in Jeremiah's day that say, you know what, I don't believe in any of this. Get out of here, Wiggins. He's just trying to scare people and you got an old book and you need to get a new book. There is no coming judgment. It's all a lie. Well, that's what they said in the days of Jeremiah, right before they were killed by the Babylonians. But for those who took the day and they took it seriously, and who believed in the word of the Lord, they took the only way that he gave them. And they understood the urgency of the moment. And they committed themselves to follow the word of the Lord. Even when they thought that it might actually kill them to follow God, they chose to do it anyway. And what happened? They got out with their life. And so will you. There is no other way. So put your trust in Jesus and him alone for your salvation. Say, Lord, I believe. Now help me with my unbelief. And that's what we're here for. To keep you in the word and to keep you on the right track, and to give you a community of other people who are in the Word and are seeking the right way. Amen? Turned off by religion and hypocrisy? Hate being preached to? Something missing in your life? You haven't been getting the whole truth, the whole Bible, and the Hebraic roots of the Scriptures. Get answers and treasures now on Solace Radio.